imagine with me 3,000 years ago, an unknown seeker is in the Middle East uh, near a city called Shechem. And this unknown seeker begins digging, begins digging into the crusty soil, and it is hard. Because just under the dirt and just under that, that hard topsoil is limestone. And this digger starts with the pick and is digging and digging and digging and it's hot and it's sunny and the sun is beating on his back and it's uh, back-breaking work and he's digging and he's pulling up as it gets lower over months. He's pulling up from this whole rock and it's hard, but he keeps going and he keeps going. And then one day, from that limestone way down like 100 meters deep, he hits a clear liquid, starts bubbling up from the ground. And so he looks up towards the heavens, and he shouts with enthusiasm, water. The Bible actually tells us in Genesis 33 that, uh, that this spot became known over time as Jacob's Well. Jacob uh, bought it for a hundred pieces of silver, and they referred to it as Jacob's well. It was this place that w from the depths, the, the water came up, and, and that water actually sustained generation upon generation of people. It was, it was life in the desert, this water, this Jacob's well. Actually, if you were to visit uh, the Middle East today, and if you were to go into the West Bank, there is a Eastern Orthodox church and monastery where you can go and visit Jacob's Well. Some people consider it to be uh, the most authentic of Christian holy sites, because how can you move, you know, a cistern? <laughs> how can you move that anywhere? But visitors can actually visit that place today and can still drink water, clear water from this well. But even though this, um, this site, this place began as a holy site for Jewish people, over time that region became known as Samaria. Because it, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews became kind of estranged cousins, if you will. This offshoot of the Hebrew people called the Samaritans, they established a temple, a place of worship on Mount Gerizim. And that was what they said, not Jerusalem, but this temple on Mount Gerizim was the place that they said was the true place where God should be honored and worshipped. So this great antagonism grows um, between the Jews and the, their cousins, the Samaritans. So usually in the days of Jesus, when traveling between these different parts of Israel, uh, Jews would just avoid Samaria. They wouldn't go there. Like, that's the place where the sinners live. In their minds, that's how they thought of it. They would go around. They would go other ways. They would not go there through Samaria where Jacob's well was. But one day in our gospel passage today, Jesus and his disciples are headed. They're from, going from Jerusalem, and they're going uh, back up toward the Sea of Galilee. And strangely, the gospel writer John says, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, there's really no geographic or um, cultural reason why he should have to go through Samaria, but it seems that something compelled Christ to go this route, to go this way. 
this route that would lead by this very historic site, Jacob's Well. So in John 4, Jesus then talks with a Samaritan woman at this well, and they talk about water. Now, this is the very place where water has sustained the people through generations in the desert, and they talk about water, and Jesus talks about a sort of living water with him. This is the story. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. If I were to pick three words, that stand out to me in this story, I think the words might be dignity, vulnerability, and witness. First, we see Jesus offer dignity to this woman. We see Jesus looking beyond social norms and labels, treating her as a precious human made in the image of God. Jews and Samaritans did not normally speak to one another. 
men and women did not speak to each other in public. But Jesus saw beyond the religious and social norms of his day and saw this woman as a person made in the image of God. Jesus did not see her through the labels others put on her. He didn't see her as Samaritan or as woman. He saw her as a human. He saw her with dignity. Paul Arthur Riley in her fabulous book Help This Poor Flesh says this, to be human in an aching world is to know our dignity and become people who safeguard the dignity of everything around us. This is it. This is the way of Jesus. This is what we see in this passage. Jesus safeguards this woman's dignity, and he can only do that because he knows his own dignity. If ever we are going to get beyond the the divisions and the labels that our world assigns, and all of the walls they erect and cause, if ever we are to live in a way that is like this instance with Jesus and this woman beyond labels and divisions, dignity must, must, it, it must be present. Dignity must first and foremost be received and embraced from God, and only then can it be extended to another, because I can't extend you dignity if I don't have it for myself. If my worth is tied up in my proving and my performing and my need for your approval, I, I will not be able to bestow on you dignity if I don't have it, in, it myself. I'm, I'm trying always then to prove my worth. I'll need to use you in some way. To have dignity for myself and others is to see myself and others as beloved children made in the image of God. Like, you are not a political agenda. You are not a caricature for a religious cause or a social cause. You are a child of God. You are also not a perfectibility project. Even if you have mastered the miracle morning, you are not a perfectibility project, just always up and to the right. You're a person. You're a human with highs and lows. You are also not fixed and final. You're in process. We all are. And you are holy and dearly loved. It's like with God and God only are you and I fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. That's the basis for dignity. Now, many people have noted this is the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and anyone in Scripture. That's incredible. The longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anyone in Scripture is 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 this conversation in a society that would have labeled the whole entire thing as taboo. But Jesus sees beyond the the religious rules to extend his message of grace to all people. And we should too. Jesus first reveals that he is the Messiah to this Samaritan woman at the well. Like the first time he says, I am the Messiah, is not to the disciples. It's not to the religious elite. It's not even to the Jews. It is first to an outsider, to a Samaritan, to a woman. Jesus is bestowing dignity on the marginalized people in society. You know, sometimes churches will spend a tremendous amount of of time and energy crafting and writing 
positions and papers on all sorts of different social issues in society. But something we like to say at Platt Park is we don't have positions and papers. We have people. We have people. People made in the image of God. We begin there with dignity, with people. And I hope you'll join me in seeking to welcome each person with dignity who walks through these three doors. To, to approach each person you encounter in life with curiosity, with wonder, with honesty, with dignity that Jesus is modeling for us in this passage. Because just imagine if, imagine if the church were known as the least judgmental place on earth. Wouldn't that be cool? Where the marginalized came and were given dignity and in that container were changed in love were changed by love. So first thing I noticed in this is just the dignity of this interaction. Second thing I noticed, what a profoundly vulnerable church. Like before Jesus ever talks about the living water, he says, I am thirsty. Can I have a drink? The whole conversation begins in vulnerability. He's thirsty. He asks her for a drink. Like vulnerability is preceding his ministry to her, to the people that she eventually brings. I think so often, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just far too shaped by the fiercely independent, self-sufficient cultural narrative of our world. So I think I need to take care of me before I would ever offer anything to anyone else. And of certainly there is a place, dignity, right, births, good, healthy self-care. Let's not to totally negate that. But here's the thing. The, the gospel is, I came to you in weakness. Even Jesus asked for water. Even Jesus was thirsty. Even Jesus has needs. So being needy and vulnerable, it's not weak. It's not an, it's not an indication of a lack of reliance on God. Being needy is, it's actually... The only reality we live in. Everything else is false teaching. Being needy is the only is the only way in which we can actually encounter one another. It's the only way we can actually be filled by God. And I, I don't want to rush past this part. It kind of takes my breath away. Like so very often, it reminds me, I guess, of of the story in Genesis, the story of the fall, and how so very often I've heard that, you know, story spoken of as, you know, the curse, I could probably quote the curse to you right now. I mean, so very often I've heard the emphasis on, you know, the sin of Adam and Eve and, you know, the consequences of the sin in that story. The thing I wish we really would just talk more about is that when sin and shame enter, the first thing God does is get out a sewing machine, right? The first thing that God does is go and make them some clothes. The vulnerability of God, the tenderness of God. And here's the Samaritan woman. She's coming to draw water, and she's coming at noon. That's the hottest part of the day. She's not coming in the morning with the other women who all come together. She's not coming in the cool when things cool off in the late afternoon with the other women. She's coming alone, most likely because she doesn't feel she belongs with the other women. 
Many of you know what that, that feeling, that feeling that you don't belong. She is coming in her shame, in her hiding, in her isolation. And Jesus does not come to her with a lecture or a rebuke or with advice. He doesn't lead with a position paper on divorce or sexuality. He comes to her thirsty. He comes to her thirsty and says, I need a drink. Come to me and drink. Like he comes in vulnerability and he wraps her vulnerability in dignity. And what does she feel? She feels seen. She feels known. She feels forgiven and loved. And she leaves her very most expensive jar that she brought to draw water. She leaves her most expensive jar for drawing water right there behind at the well. And she runs home and tells everybody of this encounter. And she's just met someone very, very special. She received this dignity, received vulnerability. And then lastly, we see in this story, we see the power of witness. We read this, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Notice, like the woman doesn't even have authority herself. She hasn't been to seminary. She doesn't have a master's in apologetics. She has never read evidence that demands a verdict. She actually isn't even sure herself. Because she says, could this be the Messiah? Question mark. But none of that, none of that stops her from sharing her encounter with Jesus, sharing that encounter with others. So as we, as we close, Charlie and Tamara are going to come, and they're going to share, they're going to share a song that Charlie wrote about this passage. And here is our hope in in this song being shared with you. I don't wish for you to like read this story. I wish for this story to read you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I wish for this story to read you. And I don't I don't care so much that you know it right here. I I I hope that we would know it here. Like in our hearts. That it would reach us and touch us. That Jesus would reach us in our places of shame, bring dignity to your precious life that you might be so moved by the encounter that you have with God over time in your life that you kind of can't help leave whatever the valuable thing is that you came with behind to bear witness to this reality, to this encounter. That the living water might become your very life too. So let's allow this story to be sung over us, to be sung into us so that might sink into us in a different way. Let's hear it now and then we'll close in prayer. Need a sun kiss laying down The village sleeps this time of day Painful times here the scorn and looks that they always shoot into my heart then came to you and said 
Something in your eyes began to mend where I'd been torn. And as I sat and drank your words, my heart only grew hotter. Sit right here. to the ground I won't need that anymore I saw the ones who put me down and I had just been filled and now I want to pour into their hearts because you made me hurt Everything I ever did, he told me without scorn. Something in his eyes began to mend where I'd been torn. And as I sat and drank his words, my heart only grew hotter. Come with me and people hiding, hiding in shame, and <laughs> staying um, the same dignity. It, um, God, it melts away all of the 
posturing and performing and posing the way in which I you guys just I can't help but all be a view of this following me as I seek to be in control. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. That's the only environment for real change. receive back mercy, grace, forgiveness, and dignity right back there and build up in that and extend it to others. Might we be people who bear witness to the goodness of our Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.